We're now coming up on the one-week mark of a Screen Actors Guild strike that looks like it has the potential to go on for much, much longer, on top of a Writers Guild of America strike that's been going for two and a half months, and also has no end in sight. Uh, both of these Hollywood strikes have a lot in common, and are largely driven by changes in technology that have resulted, or will result, in significantly lower pay and lower job security for actors and writers. Two professions where the average person makes a lot less money than you might think if you're only picturing actors like Robert Downey Jr. and writers like J.J. Abrams. Mm -hmm. I mean, the big names have been out there on the picket lines, but the vast majority of SAG and WGA members are really just making enough to get by in L.A. and New York, and their financial situation has gotten a lot more precarious thanks to the rise of streaming over the past decade and has the potential to become absolutely dire with the rise of artificial intelligence. Yeah, and in the face of these two huge threats to their livelihood, you might be surprised to learn that the list of demands SAG issued to the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which the AMPTP rejected, thus triggering this strike, is actually pretty goddamn reasonable. Of course, if you saw the list of the WGA's rejected demands, it's probably not too surprising. But this week, SAG made their list of demands public alongside the AMPTP's counteroffers and outright rejections. And it's a really interesting look at just how diabolically greedy the Hollywood studios are, even in the face of a near total work stoppage that could last months. Here's how SAG begins their press release containing their rejected terms. We're fighting for the survival of our profession. Here's the simple truth. We're up against a system where those in charge of multi-billion dollar media conglomerates are rewarded for exploiting workers. The companies represented by the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, AMPTP, which include Amazon MGM, Apple, Disney ABC Fox, NBC Universal, Netflix, Paramount CBS, Sony, Warner Brothers Discovery, HBO, and others are committed to prioritizing shareholders and Wall Street. Detailed below are some of the key issues of the negotiation and where things stand. We moved on some things, but from day one, they wouldn't meaningfully engage on the most critical issues. And what follows is several pages containing a lot of stuff that's it's boring or inside baseball, but let's look at a few key disagreements here. In terms of wages, the AMPTP did agree to wage increases, but nothing near what SAG says would be needed to actually keep up with the inflation that has occurred over the past three years since the last contract. But upfront wages are, of course, just one way that actors get paid. Residuals, which is money the actors make from distribution, have decreased significantly as home video sales and TV licensing have been overtaken by streaming, which doesn't provide nearly the same amount of residuals, and often no residuals at all. SAG's proposal here was cast's share in the revenue generated when the performances are exhibited on streaming platforms. This would allow cast to share in the success of high-performing shows, which is obviously pretty open-ended, but basically amounts to give us residuals for our streaming viewership the same way you give us residuals for TV broadcasts and Blu-ray sales. To which the AMPTP said no, with no counteroffer. No, the answer is simply no. And this is where you're seeing a lot of those uh, photos of checks that actors are getting in the mail yeah. of like one penny. It, co it costs the studio... More, More to print the check. And to mail it <laughs> yeah. than the check would ever be worth. Just send me a stamp next time. I can actually use that. Uh, yeah, there was a, there was an article uh, last week. It's pretty paywalled, but I've seen screenshots of it. But it was in The New Yorker. It was about Orange is the New Black, which was 
the first like streaming big success. It won made all these Netflix awards. a success. Yeah, yeah it, it launched Netflix. It was a huge destination show for Netflix, and pretty much everyone who worked on it, but especially anyone who wasn't like top billing, got fucking nothing. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of these people are not just like struggling; like they're like on the verge of financial despair. Yeah, and it's like, oh, cool that like this show I worked on made so much money for Netflix. I don't see any of that. Also, they, they were like, there was stuff, because it was so early on, the contracts didn't cover shit, so it's like, even going to like the premieres and award shows where Orange is the New Black was being honored or whatever, they'd have to like fly themselves and like dress themselves. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a different world that streaming has opened up for uh, everyone, but for actors and writers especially. Yeah. Anyway, the other big sticking point is, of course, AI. And SAG sums up those negotiations here. SAG after proposals. Establish a comprehensive set of provisions to protect human-created work and require informed consent and fair compensation when a digital replica is made of a performer or when their voice, likeness, or performance will be substantially changed using AI. Seems pretty reasonable, mm -hmm. but the AMPTP counters failed to address many vital concerns, leaving principal performers and background actors vulnerable to having most of their work replaced by digital replicas. And elsewhere, they describe the AMPTP stance as, we want to be able to scan a background performer's image, pay them for half a day's labor, and then use an individual's likeness for any purpose forever without their consent. We also want to be able to make changes to principal performers' dialogue and even create new scenes without informed consent, which... Uh, just thinking of the implications here, if you are a young, attractive female actor, that's definitely um, not, not something you'd want them to be able to do, no. I think. And these are, of course, just a few bullet points on a long list, which includes rejected terms for stuff like increased penalties for things like late payments, missed meal breaks, and lack of rest periods. Less restrictions on series regulars' ability to find other roles during increasingly long breaks between show seasons, and lots more. And they're all very reasonable requests. But streaming residuals in AI are clearly the areas where the studios refuse to budge. And that is telling. Why so specifically yeah. are they hung up on these two things? Because they, huh. they do budge somewhat on a lot of these requests, like less than half of them, but it's like... They seem to be negotiating in somewhat good faith on a lot of these points, but on the point of residuals and AI, just absolutely not ceding any ground. We had a 50-year plan, and you guys are about to ruin it. I mean, it's more like a five-year plan. Yeah. Because um, clearly they've been spending money like crazy. I'm just saying for the AI likeness uh, and use in perpetuity, because... Look, I mean, here's the thing is that at some point they're just going to have a database and be like, I need this type of person and then fill yeah. it all out randomly. But they for won't bigger, need humans. But for bigger actors, it's like everyone loses their star shine eventually. And it's, you know, they're not going to be pulling some random person from 50 years ago to yeah. star in it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the deal was always that, like, you can actually retire as an actor mm -hmm. because of residuals. Yeah. And now that's not looking so hot and you know at least good news hollywood loves hiring aged elderly people for their projects you see old people on the tv and the movies all the time they're working no they're not no they're absolutely not no and uh, it's a lot easier to age someone with special effects than to de-age them so uh there you go yeah 
Anyways, uh, it's kind of insane that the studio's plan was apparently to completely upend their industry's business model in a few short years and just hope that the workers who make their products would be cool with making way less money while guys like Bob Iger and David Zaslav pull in hundreds of millions of dollars. It's especially wild that their response to these strikes is to call the writers and actors unreasonable and out of touch. Especially while they're on, like, a vacation yeah. all together. They're at their weird little, like, Illuminati summit. Yeah, like, the where, billionaire like, the private voice jet camp. is just out of, uh, out of the shot. Everything <laughs> since even the beginning of the writer strike has been the worst. You can tell these people are stupid at their core. Because the worst possible optics. Like, like we went back and said, the beginning of the writer strike. The first day, David Zaslav is sitting courtside at, like, yeah. a, like a Knicks game or something like that. I'm like, yeah, put, put me on the TV. I have no shame. And then some random executive who everyone seems to know uh, coming out and saying, we're going to starve all of these people to death. Well, there's a lot of ways to lose your house. Yes. Um, and for the people online that are getting mad about... A lot of people just don't understand. They don't yeah, understand the like, working oh, actor's look, life. Yeah. And they think of people like Scarlett Johansson, Robert Downey Jr., like these just massively famous right. people. Right. Anytime one of them goes out on the picket line to show solidarity, because they were once themselves a working actor and probably are acquainted with and friends with uh, working actors. Yeah. Um, people are like, oh, you you made a million dollars last week. Uh, what are you the striking for? And it's like, people just are so... This is a, a big part of American society and the American mentality is just like, why would you ever do something on behalf of someone else? It's also <laughs> just this like crabs in a bucket mentality of just like, why should anyone else get something better than I'm getting? Right. When it's when it should be eye opening to like yeah. class solidarity. Oh, I should strike too. Yes, I'm I being should exploited. make demands. Yes. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you I, you see this a lot even with like. UPS drivers who are on the verge of going on strike and that one that negotiation as well seems to have hit a no-go wall but like people find out that UPS drivers make like 40 bucks an hour and they're like oh that's way too much you think you deserve more it's like listen we we did the math they're making this much money every year delivering your fucking packages yeah also if you think this is so outrageous and that you're doing so much better and getting paid less maybe you should go work for UPS yeah that would be a great career change. And it, a lot of it also comes from like... No the, one else the, can be, ever be more happy than I am. And I'm always unhappy. This also comes down to, again, the boomers who... It, they what they did that interview a couple of years ago where they asked boomers what they thought the average price of a house was. <laughs> yeah. So oh, that also... $20,000? Seeing a $30 an hour number... It makes their brain fizzle. Yeah. They're just like, oh, wow, a millionaire? My first job delivering newspapers, I made 10 cents. And these people think they deserve $40? That's why minimum wage has been seven twenty-five for like two decades. Yeah. It's insane. Anyways, the strikes are on, and every studio in L.A. County is being swarmed with protesters. And if you've been outside lately, this is certainly not the time of year most people would choose to spend hours every day marching out on the sidewalk, unless they had a very good reason. Mm -hmm. It's a dry heat, though, thank God, but it's still a scorcher. And it's certainly very, very, very interesting that just as the Hollywood picket lines doubled in size, a long row of big shade trees right outside Universal Pictures had its lush foliage severely trimmed back, leaving behind skeletons where trees once stood. Pathetic looking trees. 
Uh, so yeah, this was of course immediately suspected of being a very petty tactic against the protesters to deprive them of shade. And while Universal claims that it's all just a big coincidence and that they always trim their trees at this time of year, every year, their story uh, just doesn't add up. They, uh, who wrote this? Not a writer, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, it's full uh, of holes, a lot of plot holes here. Just even, even if it was a yearly thing, how could no one have been like, this will look diabolical if we go through with it? They don't seem to understand optics, much less That's care what I'm about saying. optics. Every step of the way, the studios are giving a better example for both unions and the general public to despise them. But yeah, it's also, it's the first big labor strike that's happened in, uh, or at least in Hollywood, that's happened in the age of social media, where... Like the they are losing the battle yeah, online. Yeah, the second yeah. they were out on that sidewalk, one of the people on strike tweeted it out and immediately goes viral. Yep. Whereas, like, without Twitter or whatever, like, good and luck getting attention This is where social media is honestly good because, as you're probably aware, all of the major news networks are owned by all these studios. Yeah, they've... Uh, the local... Local like ABC Seven uh, has just been like, gosh, these these striking actors and work and uh, writers like, you know, they're collapsing the entire like industry in oh, the valley. Oh, cool. they should pay them. They like, should oh, pay yeah, you more, should yeah. probably. Uh, you s- sounds like you're describing the backbone of a fragile local economy. Yes. Wow. We should probably do something about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, actual arborists have pointed out that aggressively trimming back trees in this way in the middle of summer, very unhealthy for the trees. Yeah. Now you're supposed to do it in winter. They need those leaves for protection against the sun. And that's, dare I say, probably the reason Universal put them out there in the first place. Or the city did. Yeah, it's also just irresponsible. I mean, like, not too many people walk in L.A. But there's also a reason for that. (laughs) There's a sidewalk, and, uh, you know, if someone is walking for Mm -hmm. some reason, uh, yeah. Shade is nice. Shade trees on the sidewalk are there to provide shade. Yeah. More importantly, though, L.A. city officials and L.A.'s Street Services Bureau have looked into this. And say that not only was no tree trimming permit issued, those trees also haven't been trimmed in at least three years. Wait, they said they do it every year. Well, the trees had COVID is the problem. Oh. They were giving it out. So Universal now faces some potential fines for illegally trimming their trees. And SAG and the WGA have filed formal unfair labor practice charges against Universal over it. This was pretty clearly done on purpose. And... Yet another great example of the studios letting writers and actors know what they really think of them. Unfortunately for the studios, this, like those uh, comments last week about letting the strikes go on indefinitely until union members start losing their houses, has only served to further motivate the strikers. And again, you're fighting an uphill battle against the general public, who most people don't give a shit. Because they're just, the majority of people in the United States are going about their day and they see it on the news, they're like, huh. But... When something this diabolical bubbles up through the news cycle, like the comment last week and like trimming the trees to Mm -hmm. take shade away when the entire country is in a heat wave, they all understand what's going on. It, they're doing the dirty work of pushing the public perception against themselves. Yeah. And also it's, I mean, this entire generation of chief executives are all pulling from the same playbook. Like they might not be all near billionaires, like, David Zaslav, but like I'm telling you, your boss read all the same fucking books, same sociopathic fucking books that these uh, film studio guys read, and they see you uh, in probably much the same way. Well, this also, (laughs) this is a great example that goes back to 
the tactics of yesteryear because, as we know, like most industries these days, uh, it's all run by elderly people, and they're probably like, <laughs> we got a couple of way to bust these uh, unions, bring them uh, down. Let's let's call open up the, the Pinkertons. Yes, <laughs> I mean honestly. I mean they are still around, but I don't know if they do the union busting. Yeah, no. So much but anymore. what I'm saying is, is <laughs> you're looking at tactics from a playbook that is completely unacceptable in this day and age because you can prove that they're doing terrible yeah. things. Yeah, there's no plausible deniability. No, it's uh, you know, it's it harkens back to the old Hollywood days. Yeah, old Hollywood. That's right. Anyway, further motivating the strikers is an announcement this week from a studio or a company called Fable Studios that almost feels like uh, this announcement was timed in coordination with the AMPTP. Very suspicious. So Fable Studios previously worked alongside Facebook's Oculus, developing a new VR filmmaking medium that obviously did not take off. <laughs> what, you, you, you don't mean that it's not the biggest thing in filmmaking? No, it's not. No. Uh, they have since pivoted to AI, and they've changed their name to The Simulation. And this week, they unveiled Showrunner, an AI system they've been developing, which does pretty much exactly what actors and writers fear the studios will do if the contracts are not updated. It's a it's a clear example of their intentions. Yeah. So in videos shared to social media, we see a basic interface for selecting characters and locations and inputting short little prompts. And boom, here's a new fully animated and voiced scene from South Park that, at least as a casual observer, could easily be mistaken for the real thing. So here's Forbes with more on this. The simulation has no relation to South Park's producers. It chose to mimic South Park for its demo because of the series' minimalist animation style and the volume of existing content to train the models. The output, using basic prompts, is an episode complete with story, script, voice recording, animation, editing, and scoring all done by showrunner. The company repeatedly emphasized that the episode has no commercial purpose and is more akin to fan art. Quote, Artists and storytellers are now discovering just how effective AI has become, producer and the simulation CEO Ed Saatchi explained in an interview last week. It's both exciting and extremely disturbing, which is why we wanted to share the results of our research in a non-commercial way to show both artists and Hollywood producers that the threat is real. <laughs> yes, this is a threat. Saatchi said Showrunner is only available to researchers and journalists, and the company has no plans to otherwise share it with the public. Oh, I think that attitude could probably change with some sacks full of money. Yeah, although this uh, Ed Saatchi guy does not need it. He is literally the son of one of the Saatchi and Saatchi brothers mm. who uh, run one of the world's largest uh, ad agencies and also own most of the world's art. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't think he's in it for the money necessarily, but uh, that does maybe play into... Uh, how out of touch you'd have to fucking be to release this this week of all of all times. Yeah. Again, though, well, there's a couple things wrong with this. First of all, it sucks. We'll get to it. But it, yeah. like, uh, <laughs> it, it's it's also it's just providing again more ammunition for the unions that are striking. Uh, yeah. And gives the public a clear example of what the future might look like. Right, yeah, no, this is this is really only helping the unions because they see this and they're like, oh, this actually is a fight you, for my life. You couldn't have produced a better example if the yeah. unions themselves had done it. Yeah. Anyway, these clips are genuinely impressive and kind of terrifying. And with all AI art, the results are always gonna be less impressive once you evaluate it as if it were a human produced work, minus the whole AI wow factor. And that is certainly the case here. I mean, these would be some pretty weak-ass episodes of South Park if they aired on television, 
without any AI hype. But uh, the simplicity is what makes it so alarming. You could presumably crank out fake South Park episodes all damn day, pick the best results, and with a little bit of punch-up from one or two actual comedy writers, you could easily give it enough of a sheen of human creativity to pass as the real thing. Yeah, it's... Look, when you analyze it without just looking at it and going, huh, that's kind of scary because this is obviously just one step on a long road. But, yeah, I mean, the staging's all off. The characters don't react properly. Yeah, the dialogue no, is very robotic and boring. It's not as impressive as it pertains to be, but... Yeah, it's like if if a human did this, you'd be like, great job on your uh, class project uh, for animation school. Yeah. You, you, that's a really cool thing you did. But it's very important to point out that AI South Park works because it's built on the human work that went into hundreds of South Park episodes over the past 26 years. It uses characters, voices, music cues, and visuals built by humans, which the viewer accepts as South Park because it looks and sounds like South Park. So we do have to wonder how impressive this demo would be if all of these elements were created from scratch and not built off an existing highly successful intellectual property. If it were, there would still be a ton of human work required to establish a show's characters, tone, visual style, etc. From the studio perspective, though, that's still way fewer humans to pay. Yeah, I mean, the example that always gets cited is just like there's been a thousand episodes of Law and Order. And yeah, you probably could feed an AI all of those episodes and have it crank out something that to the average Law & Order viewer who doesn't even make it through the whole fucking episode without falling asleep would pass as close enough. Sure. But that requires decades of actual human work to feed the AI. And even if you're starting from scratch, you're working off of human-created work that has been fed into the AI. Which, according to the contract negotiations, those decades of work, would re, re, uh, they would get no residuals from that. Right, yeah. If you're All screaming... of the things they've written to train the thing replacing their job is stolen from them. Yeah, it's fucking... It's, it's all very evil, and I don't like it. it even if like the, the, the margins weren't even that great between AI and real humans, I feel like the studios would do this just out of spite. Yeah. They seem to do a lot of things out of spite. They seem to actively hate the people <laughs> that make their products. Again, this is a, a, a shocking reality that has happened <laughs> over the past few years of just like people who are managers or executives hate creative people. Yeah. Well, they're they're jealous. I think they are. That No, that is what it comes down to. And uh, it's always very interesting. It's the same reason that like artists uh, who do commissions... Like, you know, just normal people who do art, but who do commissions on, like, Instagram and Twitter, like, just constantly get people, like, asking them to draw stuff. And then when they tell them, like, their price, which in a lot of cases is, like, reasonable, it's like, totally. 50 bucks, they're yeah. low, you're lowballing, you got to charge more. But, like, people lose their fucking minds. So they're like, wait, so you're, you get, you're blessed with talent and you're charging me to, uh, to get to use your talent? That's not right. That's not fair. There's a lot of resentment towards creative types. Yeah, um, and I mean, I mean, I said this like way back when this AI art shit started. It's like, yeah, it's never too late to start to start trying to learn how to draw or paint or whatever the fuck you want. Like, it's go it, it, even if you suck at it, 
Which is probably... <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be easy, you, but... Yeah, I mean, but you will improve over time, and there's there's a great satisfaction to that that you will never, ever possibly achieve through typing prompts into a computer. I think a lot of these executives would uh, be a lot happier if they just took all their free time and instead of plotting against people l lower than them, just went and um, did a painting or something. Yeah. yeah. Look at George W. Bush. He killed a million people. Yeah, and everyone's like, look at that cute old man. He now, does the paintings. And now he sits at home painting, and he's like, why did I kill a million people? That's yeah, stupid. Not, not a care in the world. <laughs> the blood on his hands means nothing yeah. because of the joy of painting. Yeah, that was pretty fucked up what I did. Anyways, here's a picture of a dog. <laughs> Painting, folks, it works. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, though, despite the timing and despite literally featuring the WGA strike as a plot point in one of the showrunner's demos, offering the studio's digital scabs doesn't seem to be the ultimate goal here. Simulation says they are in talks with some Hollywood studios, but their CEO seems to see this as merely a stepping stone to letting people create their own little Truman shows. Now, a key element of this tech is that each character is their own AI agent, and that's similar to an experiment we talked about a few months back where Stanford University and Google created a cutesy little 2D town filled with characters who go about their daily lives and interact with each other. It was boring as fuck. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the simulation seems to think this is the future of custom entertainment accessible to anyone and that it will lead to AGI, Artificial General Intelligence, a.k.a. the AI in science fiction, which is truly alive. I guess we'll see about that. <laughs> But for now, it's just a tech demo for the TV studios on how to make unlimited content with minimal human involvement at a time when that's exactly what they're trying to do. Yeah. And, I mean, we saw this, you know, back before the WGA strike when they were going through their negotiations months ago. And, like, at that point, all we had really was ChatGPT. And the studios were like, that'll work. That'll We can replace all you with ChatGPT. Whatever GPT. it takes. And it's like, if you've, actually, if you've ever actually used ChatGPT, you're like, no, that, would, that yeah. would not work. But now they see something like this, and they're like, holy fucking One shit. One of their kids pulled it up on the MacBook and yeah. was like, watch, it'll write a whole... I'm not going to think... I'm not going to think at all about, uh, you know, the finer points of how this only works because South Park is already a successful show, and they just simply fed uh, hundreds of episodes into the machine. No, this is the future... From Writers, the people who brought so you Quibi comes uh, a new venture, yeah. AI-produced content. Hope you're ready for a bleak, bleak future, everyone. Yeah, and like, I mean, even the South Park thing, again, like, the, one of my favorite things to do with ChatGPT when that was, like, still around was, like, hey, write me a scene from Seinfeld that does this. Write me a soprano scene where this happens. And it was never all that satisfying because it's, like, yeah, I mean, okay, you kind of got it, but it just doesn't have any fucking, like, yeah. purpose to it. And, like, that's... The fact that the South Park thing, it, like, animated it and voiced it, like, okay, that's pretty cool. But, like, if you sit and, like, just watch it from a plot perspective, it's fucking this, it's, bullshit. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks ass. Yeah. It's not funny, mm -mm. and it's not good. It's not entertaining. Well, you get what you pay for. So, yeah, that's concerning. But before we move on to news about the guy who says that things are concerning, let's at least pad this episode out with some good news. Um, COVID-19. Remember that? It's been over for a lot of people for a very long time. Uh, late March 2020 for some folks. Uh, <laughs> the, state, the entire state of Florida. Yeah. Um, and But for most people, it's been like semi-over or mostly over since they got multiple rounds of vaccinations and were able to go do everything that they used to be able to do without requirements for masking or proof of vaccination. Or when Joe Biden said over a year ago, the pandemic is over. Jack. But it's of course not over. No. Jack. 
COVID is still out there and people are still getting it and having a pretty bad time. Fortunately, though, after more than three years and more than 1.1 million deaths, the U.S. seems to have finally hit an important COVID milestone. Here's the New York Times. The United States has reached a milestone in the long struggle against COVID. The total number of Americans dying each day from any cause is no longer historically abnormal. Excess deaths, as this number is known, has been an important measure of COVID's true toll because it does not depend on the murky attribution of deaths to a specific cause. Even if COVID is being underdiagnosed, the excess deaths statistic can capture its effects. The statistic also captures COVID's indirect effects, like the surge of vehicle crashes, gun deaths, and deaths from missed medical treatments during the pandemic. During COVID's worst phases, the total number of Americans dying each day was more than 30% higher than normal, a shocking increase. For long stretches of the past three years, the excess was above 10%. But during the past few months, excess deaths have fallen to almost to zero, according to three different measures. So yeah, this is great news. But again, COVID's still out there and yeah. it's still not fun. And the rare effects of long COVID will continue to take years to fully understand and treat. Yeah, long COVID, and it no sounds, joke. sounds like a bad time. Yeah. Uh, also, just because COVID deaths are statistically over doesn't mean they're not happening. The mm -hmm. CDC says that around 80 people are still dying from COVID in the U.S. every day, which is not a lot, but there are still people who died. Yes. Still, though, this is good news, and the article explains how this came to be. The progress stems mostly from three factors. First, about three quarters of U.S. adults have received at least one vaccine shot. Second, more than three quarters of Americans have been infected with COVID, providing natural immunity from future symptoms. About 97% of adults fall into at least one of those first two categories. Third, post-infection treatments like Paxlovid, which can reduce the severity of symptoms, became widely available last year. I didn't realize three-fourths of the kind... I, I feel very special. I'm in that... Uh, I mean, that clean 25% that never got COVID. Yeah, tested, and uh, it's the Florida blood. Yeah. That's right. They're going to harvest me when I die and figure out science is going to have a look. Yeah, it's... Uh, Just like Ozzy Osbourne. I can't believe I made it out of the pandemic with that. There was definitely... I'm sure that I've had it. I just, it was, I was probably unsymptomatic because anytime I had like a runny nose or something, I would do the swab or like two times I went and got tested at a quick care clinic and... No, just a normal cold. I mean, say. I'm sure I breathed them in at some point, but I didn't get infected. I don't know. It's weird. And there was definitely times like right after things started reopening, where I'm like going to concerts and like I have a mask in my pocket, but it's like, oh, I'm definitely getting it tonight. It's happening. And then it just didn't happen. Hmm. It's weird. Maybe I'm special. Maybe we I'm... are the main <laughs> characters. Maybe I'm the main character. That's right. Maybe I'm Bruce Willis in uh, that movie, Unbreakable, except only when it comes to this specific virus. Yeah. Knock on wood. It would be, I'm going to go home and like have COVID tonight. That's right. That would be funny. Uh, with that good news out of the way, though, let's talk about Elon Musk. Let's actually start with something we missed uh, a few weeks back that we simply have to talk about, regardless of how old the news is. Journalist and author Walter Isaacson, perhaps best known as Steve Jobs' biographer, has an Elon Musk biography coming out later this year. And in a Twitter space recently, he related a story about Elon Musk that seems simultaneously too good to be true and also totally believable. Here's Insider. Some of Musk's friends have taken drastic measures to try to keep him from tweeting late into the night, according to Musk's biographer, who has been shadowing the billionaire for the better part of three years. 
Tesla board member and close Musk confidant Antonio Gracias once took Musk's phone away to prevent him from tweeting late into the night, Isaacson said during a Twitter Spaces event on Wednesday. At one point when Elon was firing off tweets without filtering them in the least, they were on a trip and Antonio took his iPhone, Elon's iPhone, and locked it in the hotel safe with Antonio punching in the code so that Elon couldn't get up at 3 a.m. and start tweeting again. Isaacson said, describing Gracias as one of Elon's closest friends. Musk later got hotel security to open the safe at around 3 a.m. so he could start tweeting again, Isaacson said. The biographer added that Musk is almost addicted to the drama that comes with Twitter and sees owning Twitter as a way he can be king of the playground. It's something he loves, loves almost to the point of compulsion, Isaacson said, adding that some of his friends, including his brother Kimball Musk, attempted to convince him not to buy Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, he definitely strikes me as a guy who got knocked off the monkey bars when he was a kid, and this is his way of getting back at everyone. Uh, yeah. No, he, he never got to be the cool kid, and now I, I guess he's the cool kid, but... He is not the cool kid. Literally waking up in the middle of the night, like, to, to post. And, like, it would be one thing if his posts were good. They're not. But they're not good. He, they're never good. He's a prime example of the need for digital rehab. Yeah, no, He needs like, to go to a rehabilitation center... We all For made phones. we all made fun of like uh, internet addiction and like gaming addiction, but like uh, it's fucking real, folks. And this man is the poster child for it. I've been spending sleepless nights the past week getting all my altars of Lilith ready for the first season of Diablo, and uh, <laughs> folks, it's it's taking its toll on me too. <laughs> I mean, woo. Anyway, so we are definitely intrigued by this book and looking forward to its release this September. Hopefully, it provides lots of new insight into Musk's Twitter era. But then again, it would be impossible to capture into a book, considering the bullshit never stops. So it's going to be outdated immediately. Yeah, where do you where do you cut it off? The latest serving of bullshit was, of course, Twitter's long-delayed launch of revenue sharing for Twitter Blue subscribers, which we have talked about over our last few videos. But the situation is so dumb that it requires a closer look. Basically, several months ago, Elon said that Twitter Blue subscribers would get uh, be getting paid for posting in what sounded like a similar revenue sharing model to YouTube but with posts instead of videos. So the more people who saw ads under your posts, the more you would get paid. Of course, YouTube doesn't charge $8 to post videos though. And if they did, uh, unless your YouTube videos are getting hundreds of views, hundreds of thousands of views even, I mean $8. No, $8, like... A couple, couple thousand views. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't be making back enough money in ad revenue to offset those $8. Yeah, I did the math earlier today and it's like... It's, 0.005 cents per view, roughly. Hmm. So yeah. Well, it also varies too. Yeah, it's, yeah. there's a lot of uh, ads are worth it. more in Christmas time than they are like in the dead of summer or you know whenever. Yeah. Although right now is back to school, the ad rates are probably back up. Yeah. It's I don't even look at it. I I almost never do. Yeah. Who needs to stress out about that? I Nobody. guess a bunch of Twitter people do. Yeah. So yeah, this is an odd business model, especially when you consider that Twitter Blue is supposed to be Twitter's way of turning a profit in the wake of advertisers fleeing the platform and Elon Musk going tens of billions of dollars in loans, and that the only views that count towards revenue sharing are views from other Twitter Blue subscribers. So already you have the foundations of what is arguably a scam, in which the vast majority of Twitter Blue subscribers have zero chance at ever getting any money, no matter how many popular right-wing accounts flaunt their earnings on the timeline. And yeah, it's pretty much all right-wingers, though I, I guess that's expected when Twitter Blue seems to exclusively appeal to right-wing Twitter users. Yeah, and it's not all right-wingers. There's at least one Krasenstein brother who got paid. 
So there you go. Yeah. In the, in the, and I bet they share that money. <laughs> they have to. Uh, also some big non-political meme accounts. And the fact that meme accounts got paid is very funny, considering that in the wake of these payouts, one of the big Elon Simp accounts brought up that monetization might incentivize accounts to steal other people's tweets. And Elon replied, anyone engaging in repeated theft of posts will be demonetized. The account Internet Hall of Fame, which exclusively posts viral content that it did not originally create, received what appears to be the biggest payout at over $100,000. Hmm. Also, Elon Musk himself routinely posts stolen content, often stuff created by his followers, which he simply saves and then reposts rather than retweeting. So, of course, very funny stuff. You almost wish that places like Viral Hog yeah. and... Uh, What's the other big one? Jukin. They owe me $300. Personally. Yeah? Yeah, because I did, uh, like, a, way back when I did a Fail Army show, and they never uh, they never paid me for it. Oh. They were like, yeah, you get an appearance fee? I was like, hey, 300 bucks? You should go pick it outside of their office. There's no money left in that place. It's been years. I sent so many emails just like, hey. That's fucked I'd up. I'd like my $300, please. That's fucked up. That's Hollywood, though. I got ripped off. <laughs> Anyways, when we said a minute ago that this was arguably a scam, we probably could have admitted the word arguably because the more people uncover about how this all works, the more clear it is that only the top, like, 1% or half of a percent of Twitter Blue will ever see a single penny of ad revenue. For starters, the threshold for monetization to even begin is 5 million impressions every month for three months in a row. And for reference, I have around 55,000 followers, and I get about one-tenth of that many impressions. I guess I gotta, I gotta tweet 10 times as much. You need to pump those numbers up. So yeah, that's a lot of posting that needs to be seen by a lot of people. Consistently. Yeah. But secondly, and more importantly, when one of the many popular right-wing accounts who were disappointed at not getting paid reached out to Twitter about that, they received the following email. Thanks for reaching out about being unable to receive your payment from creator ads revenue sharing on Twitter. We have information for you. Currently, creator ads revenue sharing is only available to a selected group of people. We hope this clarifies your concern. <laughs> wow. You sure you didn't leave off like a second half of that uh, email where you once again reiterate but the, you should totally the, sign up. the minimums that uh, yeah. at least give people hope to be like, oh. No, that's all bullshit. We it's just a selected sort of, group because uh, yeah. I didn't get enough. But No, it's, it's we're only letting people we want. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you'll get there someday, someday kid. Yeah, it makes the fact that accused sex trafficker Andrew Tate got paid even more egregious. And also makes the fact that Cat Turd 2 didn't get paid even more sad. Yeah, this is Elon playing favorites. After months of providing personal customer support to Cat Turd 2, it appears that Elon finally realized that Cat Turd 2 will never stop complaining about being shadow banned. Cat Turd 2 is not taking the snub gracefully, as you might imagine. Yeah, he's writing, he's using that uh, unlimited character count. Uh, and the most he's going off. pathetic losers are responding, including General Michael Flynn, yeah. who is like, this is an affront to this supposedly free platform. This General Michael Flynn, who commanded uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands who, of U.S. troops, is personally reaching out to Cat Turd 2 to console him about not being monetized on Twitter. And who I might add, and I have to bring this up every time so that people take it seriously, is building a cult in Oh, yeah. Uh, Southwest Florida. Yeah, no, he... Uh, he has a fucking compound. The Michael Flynn situation should, in a, in a 
you know, in a sane country, that would cause a full audit of the U.S. armed forces to figure out what the fuck is going on. Because that man was in charge of a lot before he went full QAnon. And, yeah, it's very a suspicious situation happening down there in southwest Florida with Michael Flynn and the local school board and just the local government in general. Mm. Someone should look into this. Yeah. Yeah. Also, though, wait. Is it even legal to advertise ad revenue sharing to users when you are just hand-selecting the people who get the ad revenue? Yeah. That seems illegal. That uh-huh. seems like you are lying about something you're trying to sell, which I believe we have laws that pertain to that. Yeah. And also making it impossible to have any kind of response to the large companies that were either advertising on or willing to advertise on your platform when they ask, hey, why did this Cobra Tate guy make yeah. so much money off of our ads running under him? Oh, it's just the algorithm. No, just kidding. I personally selected no. <laughs> him. I like his content. Per I, my last email. Yeah. He's been posting great stuff while he's awaiting trial for rape. Yeah. We love Andrew Tate here. Please come advertise on my website. Wait, what's wrong? <laughs> Nobody wants to advertise anymore. In any case, it's important to remember that Elon Musk is not Twitter CEO anymore. That job belongs to Linda Yaccarino. So let's, let's check in on how mom's doing on Twitter.com. The hashtag Barbenheimer conversation is heating up on Twitter. We'll see what happens at the box office this weekend. But one thing's for sure, they're both blockbusters on Twitter. Oh my stars. Aren't we having a fun conversation here on Twitter.com? I never check the timeline. You know, every, everything in balance, if you have, if the website's owner is like a complete fucking psychopath, yeah. uh, addicted to posting, um, it, it, it brings balance to the world when you hire a CEO who literally does not know how to tweet. Yeah, just mom posting. Yeah, just, just, yeah. It's, you know, a little bit of sugar and a little bit of spice. It is honestly fascinating to see the complete opposite ends of the spectrum be operating Twitter. Yeah. A guy who is straight up shit posting 24 hours a day and the CEO he hired who is being like, hey, wouldn't it be great if we got this hashtag trending? Yeah. Neither of whom seem to uh, have what it takes to really run this website in any successful manner. It's no. interesting. No, they're, uh, it, it's her replies. I would not like to be her. Yeah. Uh, the replies are very... Well, she's in the Illuminati. <laughs> we didn't forget about that, Linda. Yeah. We saw you what you did the to The World Economic Forum. <laughs> Say hi to Moloch for me. <laughs> oh, man. She, the, nobody can win here. Uh, all we can do is sit back and watch it burn. Yeah. An unfortunate conclusion to a decade-long saga. We had a good run. Threads is getting better and better, too, which fucking pisses me off. Yeah. I don't want it to be successful, but... I like Threads. I'm ha- it's like... fine. I like No, I, it's... I just, you know... The implication. And the, and, the, and the reason it's literally banned in Europe is, like, meta is too big. They, yeah, of course. You're not yeah. allowed to have... In Europe, you're not allowed to own, like, this many social media platforms. Yeah, much like with, you know, any kind of consumption I do in this country or for anyone in the world, it's like... Yeah, Threads is good as long as I ignore the fact that this is a horrific company behind it. Like, yeah, Nikes look cool. I'm not going to research this any further. It, again, everything's bad. They are decentralizing pretty soon, though. Supposedly. Supposedly. We'll see. Yeah. Anyways, that's it for this week's episode of Tech News Day. Uh, if you haven't watched it already and you're still alive, please check out our episode about uh, the world just... The world is a shit 
it is, it is, fuck. it is very upset with us, and it is taking it out on us. Yeah, both bad, bad animals weather, and yeah. weather. Every every message we're getting is saying, "Stop what you're doing." Phoenix, uh, yesterday, whenever we filmed this, the day before we filmed this, had hit 19 or 20 days of record heat in a row. Yeah, that's a sustainable place to live. That's normal. Well, that you know, good news. They finally, just last month, said that no new homes can put grass in their yards. Oh, that's a great milestone in the year 2023 for the city of Phoenix, Arizona. Great shit. What do you mean we're all out of water? You want grass? Move to Flagstaff. It's lovely up there. Yeah, just go a couple hundred miles north. And meanwhile, some succulents and a few rocks look great. Yeah, that desert chic. Yeah, you're fitting in with the landscape. That's right. Come on. Anyways, we also have uh, just uh, gang, gang, we, we gang, gang. weird gang, 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 gang. Mm, mm, ice so cream's good. good. Mm, ice cream's so good. Uh, we have that video up there for you. Please like the video. Hit the like button. Do it. Helps the channel out. And uh, we'll be back with uh, some more news for you in a little bit. Like the video. Watch these ones. Bye. Bye-bye.